Hi and hello, watch fans. This is not your friendly neighborhood watchmaker. My partner in crime, Rob Nuts, is not here. So this is just your friendly jeweler, Aloma Joseph. But I'm in Amsterdam with an actual guest sitting next to me, Guido Benedini. Welcome. Thank you, Alon. Great to be here in Amsterdam. In Amsterdam. And it's great to actually look at you and see you because normally we record this over Zencaster, over the air, over the internet. Um, so I'm very excited to record the, this real-time show episode with you. Um, Guido, you're half Dutch. So how is it to be back in Holland? Well, it's great, Alon. It's uh, three years I didn't come to Holland because of the whole COVID uh, issue. Uh, no, great, great. You know, I come from Groningen, actually. My family is from Groningen, which yeah. is in the north. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Amsterdam is the big city and uh, great to be here. And he, he missed Holland so much, guys, that he had bitterballen for breakfast. So <laughs> now you have to explain what bitterballen is. Yeah, so Nobody I, knows I, I, I invite our listeners to Google what that is. It's a, it's a national delicacy. So, Guido, we invited you. We were very eager to have you on the show because you are doing something very exciting in the watch industry. You are the co-founder of Watch Angels. Can you please tell us what the heck you guys are doing and rocking the watch world? Yeah, Alon, so uh, Watch Angels is a, is a new model in the, in, in the watch industry, a new business model, which we call manufacturer to consumer. So it's the logical consequence of going more direct than direct. So the, the digitalization of the business has allowed us as manufacturers uh, to um, create watches directly with the customer and let the customer participate to the production process. So involve them in all the steps of a production. And uh, this model uh, gives watch enthusiasts the possibility to co-invest with us in very meaningful watches. So watches which are never ordinary, uh, watches which have either a technical particularity or have a, a great story in terms of the maker of the watches. And so it's a way uh, to turn the uh, passion for watches into also a real hobby due to the participation to the process. Amazing. Could I call it, if I need to boil it down, a crowd-funded system of working together? Yeah, of course, there is that element because yeah. um, uh, there is a crowdfunding element. So we co-invest yeah. uh, into into a production. Um, yes, maybe the you know the difference with the current crowdfunding models is that you co-invest with the factory directly. Mm -hmm. So there is there is no, um, let's say, brand in the middle. Uh, you go directly to the source. Um, and it's a model which is completely dedicated to uh, to the watch enthusiast. Yeah, so, so sorry to interrupt. So our, our listeners sometimes sit behind the desk or on their mobile and they want to look at what we usually discuss on air. If I remember the website by heart, it's watchangels.ch correct that's correct yeah so yep. it's w-a-t-c-h-a-n-g-l-e 
uh, a sorry a n g e l s. I'll do that over. So the website for our listeners, they can type in w a t c h a n g e l s dot c h for Switzerland. Yeah, that's correct. And of and, course, the name says angels. Yeah, you know, like from angel investor. Huh? Yeah. So yeah, and 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 the URL indicates that you're based in Switzerland. That's so. Correct. You're Swiss-based, Swiss-manufactured, and you just mentioned the factory invest. What did you mean by that? Well, it means that not the entire amount required for a production is put by the um, the watch enthusiast. No, but you so, guys have a factory. Oh yes, we have a factory. Yeah. What I mean is that the risk is shared. So that means that the factory takes part mm-hmm. of the investment, and the watch enthusiast take part. Amazing. So, coming up to all the projects that you do, how did you come up with this idea? Well, this was uh, this was actually during during the COVID period. It was a period where I think everybody has gone over their strategies a bit, um, and there, there I think there were two main realizations. One was that the digitalization of the of the business really gave the possibility to go directly to the consumer. Okay. The second was that being a factory, um, we 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 of course we produce for brands, mm-hmm. but we can give the same service to very talented independent creators or brands, of course, mm-hmm. and allow them to. Um, access the market in, I would say, in a, a, a low-risk and low-barrier way. Uh, you can imagine that we act as an operational platform, meaning manufacturing, sales, marketing, after-sales, customer service, on behalf of a maker or a brand. So it's also a way for very particular watches, which would never get to the market in the traditional system for various reasons, you know, maybe retail or absence of investments, or you can imagine that not every uh, designer also has the sales or, or, or the manufacturing knowledge. So it's a way to allow certain watches to get to the market, which normally would not get there. Okay. And, um, and so that's, I think, interesting also for the, for the watch community. Uh, because it's nice to know that you have contributed to bring uh, a meaningful new piece to the watch market. Amazing. So what's your track record in the watch industry and how did you end up at with or at Watch Angels? Oof, it's a long time ago now. No, I started uh, in the Swatch Group in Italy. So in the in the in Italian subsidiary, and so I started at brand manager as brand manager from for Blampa, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, then one day I got transferred to Switzerland, and have been active there in uh, in various brands as as marketing director. So Swatch, Longines, Tissot, and Rado. So I did a long uh, time of my career at the Swatch Group, uh, which has given me. A lot of experience and uh, it was a group where if you wanted to you know if you had good ideas you would be given the possibility to execute and uh, 
I'm very grateful for that. And uh, but then there is always a moment you want to do something different. And so I I um, I exited the group to start uh, a startup. Yeah. So I uh, I set up uh, an art online art business mm-hmm. for myself, which I uh, I sold three years after. And at that moment, I met Peter Stas from Frey Constant. And uh, he's been talking to me about Alpina, which was a brand he just bought and which he needed to uh, to develop. And that's how I ended up as CEO of Alpina. And this I did five years until I uh, again I decided to to uh, take a new direction, and that's when I uh, I met my partner in Watch Angels, mm-hmm. and when we set up Watch Angels. Amazing! Congratulations. So. What did you not like in the watch industry? And what did you do like? And how did you combine those contradictions in watch angels? Well, you know, uh, the great part of my career has been in, on the marketing side of, uh, of, uh, of the industry. And I must say that on that side, there's been very little I didn't like because I had the chance to to work in different brands. So... It was always a new challenge to apply uh, ideas. And, you know, uh, the watch industry is very based on creativity, on on creating narratives. So for me, it has always been very exciting. And I I had the possibility to do it for different brands and always interesting brands. So there was not much I didn't like. Uh, Maybe something I I missed was the whole uh, production and manufacturing part which always interested me a lot. But of course, being into the marketing positions, I was not very much in touch with. And, and that's what I have now. So it's it's very interesting to be able now to join the marketing with the manufacturing part. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. So let's talk a bit about the projects on Watch Angels. Can you walk us through the first one till the most recent one? Yeah, so the first project, and we, we decided to do this one as the first project that's important because we thought it was very relevant and a very actual topic. Uh, so the first project uh, was a, a fully sustainable tool watch uh, done in collaboration with um, a very talented designer in the industry called Cedric Bellon. And Cedric, since years because he is not only a designer, but also really a, a sustainability activist. For years, he, he he had been speaking actually to me about, you know, we have to do something in sustainability. Uh, we have to make watch production more sustainable. So it, it's a big challenge. And, uh, and Watch Angels was actually the, the perfect vehicle, you know, to execute mm-hmm. this project because a sustainable project touches many areas. So it's very difficult for, let's say, an established brand to turn around all its supply chain in order to achieve certain sustainability goals, because there's also volume goals, you know. And with Watch Angels, there was much more freedom, you know, to, to act. And, um, and we thought that it was a perfect project to start. Mm-hmm. You know, to start a new platform with a very strong message. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And and I, I, I'm being quiet because I try to be objective. I'm a huge fan of both Cedric Bellon 
and you, and I'm humbled to call you guys friends. And we definitely want to have Cedric Bellon on the show as well. So how did that go about? Did you ask Cedric? Did Cedric approach you guys? How, how, how did that partnership come about? Well, like all partnerships, it, it was born with, with a basic idea. Okay, And then uh, sustainability is, is a very complex issue because you very quickly get into a lot of, I would say, contradictions because a watch product is made of, it's a beauty product, always. Um, to make something beautiful, there is a lot of techniques, but which are sometimes not very, you know, clean. So you have really to reconcile uh, the beauty of an object with the um, sustainability of the production, which is not always very linear. So you have to make choices. So the sustainability approach has in the end to become also the aesthetic approach of the watch. And But what was interesting is that very soon we realized that making a sustainable watch is not just about uh, recycling materials, for example. A sustainable project is much more than that. Uh, because you have to think about all the aspects of the supply chain and the production and you have to take some compromises so a watch is a beauty product but many uh, finishing techniques which give a certain beauty are of course in terms of sustainability very bad mm-hmm. so you have to conceive the watch really as a as a as a total concept but which respects uh, the sustainability requirements. And um, so we came up with a, a production concept, which we also wanted to prove, of course, because we think that, uh, you know, 100% sustainability is not possible. Mm-hmm. But what is important is to give a reason to have benchmarks, which you use to set up a production and a supply chain for a watch like this. And what is important, because uh, in terms of the industry as a whole, uh, uh, if you really want to create something, one day big volumes have to be made sustainably because selling one sustainable watch is not enough. If, if the industry wants to become more sustainable, the volumes have, been more, have to be more sustainable. And every uh, uh, part of the industry, every supplier needs to uh, improve the way he, he treats this aspect. So to have an um, objective benchmark is very important because if we all measure each other according to a benchmark, we can all improve. We will never reach 100%. Maybe it's not even necessary, but we have to push as much as possible towards this 100%. So what we did is in order also to choose, because you can imagine, you know, everybody says, okay, this is beautiful. Let's do it like this. Let's gain here. If you go about this without an objective benchmark, it's very difficult. You can make no choices. You you end up really in something which you know, might even also be perceived in the end as greenwashing. So what we did is we set up a uh, a sustainability index, which takes into account uh, the sustainability of every component produced, measured on various criteria, and weighted on the 
proportion of the weight of that component on the total watch. So of course, the case, for example, is what weights the most mm -hmm. on a watch where you can gain the most is on making the case more sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, so we said we have to prove the approach. Okay, make sure that when we say it's sustainable, there is a reason to say this. So that, that was point one. And this allowed us also to make choices. And then we, we developed uh, a production method which was based on three principles. So the first one was the circularity, okay? Meaning uh, the um, recyclable nature or recycled nature of all the materials. Uh, of course, you have to think that recycled is not enough if, for example, it is very unsustainable at the end of the life cycle to get rid of that material, okay? So you, you need both recycled and recyclable. The second principle, which is really the low-hanging fruit in the end, in terms of sustainability, is the proximity aspect. So you have to imagine that the Swiss-made watch uh, with the 60% criteria, there is still a lot of components which travel a lot from one supplier to the other and then from one country to the other. So producing a watch creates a lot, of course, of CO2 uh, in terms of transport. So proximity is important. Uh, so we produced everything in Switzerland. And there, of course, the index improves a lot in terms of sustainability. And of course, the last uh, principle is the transformation. So the manufacturing has to be sustainable. And to do that, of course, we produced with um, by trying to, to use less energy possible. This required by Cedric to design the watch in, in such a way that we could machine it very quickly. We machined the, the, the watch with state-of-the-art equipment, so um, using less energy. And of course, we used um, sustainable energy for this, you know, from a, from a sustainable label in Switzerland. Uh, so again, I, I would say important is we had an objective parameter to make choices and Cedric has designed and imagined the watch in order to maximize this uh, sustainability index. Which is amazing. And that's what I clicked on um, very much so when... I joined as a watch angel in the beginning because I loved the idea of watch angels. I love the design Cedric made and his philosophy behind it. If I remember correctly, the index for his watch on the first one was around 87%. Yeah, it was about 87%, which is to, to explain that it's about two, two times, 2.1 times more sustainable than a mass produced Swiss made watch. So that's amazing. So explain then what does the 87 mean? So there's what? There's 20, 13% more room to improve and to make things more sustainable. That's what you mean with the 87 on the scale of 100. Well, on a scale of 100, you have a fully sustainable watch. Mm -hmm. uh, 87 means you're at 87%. So yes, there is about 13% left to make a completely sustainable watch. Mm. You, you could say it like this. Of course, the index is built on a lot of variables. Okay. So if you say that 2.3 times more sustainable, so do I divide that 87% by 2.3? No, no, no. We did the exercise. We did the exercise. So because can I find this on the website? You can find it on the website. Mm -hmm. 
and actually any brand could tomorrow take the index, mm -hmm. measure its own watch according to those criteria, mm -hmm. and will see what uh, a particular watch achieves. Yeah, and their results. Yeah, and that's and that's and that's how we calculated that the Bellon is about two times more sustainable than a traditionally made uh, Swiss-made watch. Has any other brand used that index for, as far as you know? Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure um, um, that there are brands working on this. I personally think that there should be one index for the whole industry. Yeah, I agree. And and worldwide, there are indexes which are coming now. You know, in in the different in different industries. But of course, if we want to progress all together, we should measure ourselves. All according to the same to the same criteria you know and this can become one day for brands also a brand differentiator of course mm -hmm. it becomes an objective way a customer can who is looking for sustainability can judge a product and it is a way to improve I think our processes because every part of the industry can contribute and I think the innovation will come from uh, making the processes which create beauty in the watch, like galvanic processes for the dial, etc., making them more sustainable. So you said that low-hanging fruit is the transportation to create a high index, so that's an easy one. But I assume that didn't kick up the Cedric Bellon index to 87. How did you guys do that? No, true. So the 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 biggest so the most heavy part of the of the watch is the case and there we had really the jump yeah so the case is the heaviest part of the watch so that influences the index a lot in in the in the weight of the index and um and there we we could achieve a very good score because the belon has been the first watch produced uh, with 100% recycled and certified stainless steel. Uh, we made the case, the dial, and the buckle in this steel. And it was a cooperation with Thyssen Group. So we were the test customer for this. Um, and this helped a lot to, to increase the, the, the index. Of course, you always have to think it's more expensive to produce a sustainable watch. For example, this steel is more expensive than traditional steel. And there, for example, we could compensate with the Watch Angels economic model, which is factory direct. So we have another pricing model than in the traditional industry. So, and that's why also the, the Cedric Boulogne remained also affordable. We believe that sustainability, and that's also another message you know for the industry sustainability has to be also affordable you know so i obviously trust you blindly because you're my friend we've worked together but how can it be that something this logical as recycle steel has not done before why does with all due respect a small brand which cedric bellon is a grand designer long track record and you guys have a serious factory behind you, how can it be that he's the first one? Is it really that expensive? Did nobody want to use it? Why did it take so long for the industry to make a 
first of recycled steel? And how do you prove it? Well, I think it's, it's just uh, very simply because this small brand has been born with an objective in mind. It has mm. been born in wanting to be sustainable. So the entire supply chain and production process has been designed around it. Uh, if you're a brand which is not based on this mission, it is very costly, you know, and very complicated to turn your production around, to to uh, change your designs, to source the material. It's not infinite today, uh, for example, recycled stainless steel. So there is some objective barriers today still to make high volumes and a very diversified collection in terms of designs, finishes, with, you know, only sustainability in mind. Yeah. So I don't want to uh, blow my own horn and and people that know me know that I'm a fan of sustainability. I'm a fan of Cedric Bellon. I had the honor with my family-owned and run business, Ace Jewelers, to create a nice collab with you guys, which we're not specifically going to talk about today, but something that I enjoyed the most in that uh, journey is the open letter that Cedric and I wrote to the industry to motivate them to crack up their sustainability index. Now, since we all together have done that, and since Cedric started with his own brand, because he likes to stay behind the scenes. He doesn't like to be in the limelight. That's his character. He's very modest. Did you guys inspire other watchmakers? Are there other brands that today now use the recycled steel as well? Or have used? Well, first of all, we, we hope so. Because because the, the, um, the objective is really that we don't want to be the only ones. We mm -hmm. really think that one of the new competitive factors of the industry has to be sustainability. Mm -hmm. So uh, also the letter you guys did had this message. So yeah. it's, it's a very positive message. Um, if sustainability would be factored in, you can imagine, for example, into the Swiss made uh, criteria could be interesting, right? Mm -hmm. it, it would reinforce the, you can say the value of Swiss made. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and could have various positive uh, spin-offs, you know. So we hope we encouraged other brands. Um, I know that uh, the demand uh, for recycled stainless steel is there. It's coming from, from different brands. Uh, different steel makers are gearing up to do this. Of course, it's very big companies. They need huge volumes. So they also need huge volumes to make it economically, uh, you know, viable, viable for them. Yeah. So, but the tipping point uh, will, will come one day, you know, and, and maybe one day everybody uses hundred percent recycled or, or the price of a watch will be matched to the degree of sustainability. All these models are possible and who knows how it will uh, go in, in practice, but yeah. you mentioned that. Basically, in other words, you said that Cedric Bellon forced you guys with your manufacturing cap capabilities to rethink the whole process. 
How difficult was that? And did you guys implement stuff that you used on these trial runs into daily production for the whole production line of other things you manufacture? Yeah, so it has really been a two-side work Mm -hmm. because, of course, the designer can provide you with a, as we said before, with a product you can produce quicker, okay? So the design itself can increase or decrease sustainability. Uh, so in that sense, it was a, it was a, a, a common work. Mm-hmm. I must say it's interesting because within the process of creating a watch like this, sometimes you go back to wanting to do things because, you know, we love watches and you, you, you see aesthetic solutions which you like more, but then you have to pull back again and say, okay, if I do that, what happens to the sustainability index? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the art of Cedric has been actually to make, still make beauty out of a sustainable product. And, and this was in the end, the real challenges. How, how do I make a beautiful watch, but still respect, you know, some criteria? And, um, and how do I make this sustainable beauty attractive to the final customer? That's, that's also then the challenge. And, to your question, if we use this in our daily production, uh, no, not really, because we respond to the to the needs of our customers. So we produce what they ask ask us to produce. But they said we are a very state of the art factory, so we respect all the basic sustainability requirements, which are which are there by law, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you been accused of greenwashing? No. Well, Nobody has. No, 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 no. I must say no, maybe, but maybe because, because we did not claim it was a 100% sustainable watch. Mm. We just, and, and that that's the objective of, of, of the, the index. It's, we said what we did and, and, and we measured what we did. Yeah. So of course we, we accept critics and, or, or if somebody says we, we do greenwashing, fine, but we will always go back to this index. We say, this is how we did it. This is the choices we made. And this is the index we achieved. Very transparent, very un-Swiss, if I may say so. I mean, this is not the Swiss way, transparency, right? They like this. Well, I would say, Alon, it's a nice provocation. I would say Swiss are not untransparent. Swiss are discreet. <laughs> <laughs> it's potato, potato. Huh? So, um, but but let's say the whole luxury industry doesn't like transparency. Let me take it out of a geo location. Now, on topic of transparency, you mentioned several times the sixty percent ruling for making something Swiss or not. To have the, the 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 legitimacy to use the labels to make, what is your personal opinion on that ruling? Do you think it's fair, not fair, reasonable? It it went up from fifty to sixty. That's correct. But a lot of consumers are actually shocked by the fact that it's not one hundred or something close to one hundred. What do you think about that, you personally? Well, I personally think that <laughs> you know. Uh, it's it's a question of industrial organization in the end. Um, I believe we can do much better in Switzerland. I believe 
that in the long run, the percentage, it would only be good if it increases, but on condition that volumes of Swiss mating increase. So it has to go together with the capacity to produce, um, because if not, it would mean that prices would skyrocket. Uh, many brands would then be out of the market. So it's it's a complex issue, but for sure, in the long run, um, it would be good if um, if the index increases, because in the end, it means we can um, extract more value from our products. I mean, Switzerland. The mission of Switzerland is not to make you know very very cheap watches. The, the mission of Switzerland is to to sell the competence and to sell value, and and that's important for a luxury business. Um, so yeah, I think, I, and I think, for example, the sustainability factor, if that would be inside the index, of course, we are not there yet and, and, uh, we have to see how to do that, but that would be very interesting. That would really increase also the, the, the value of a Swiss made production for the customer. Yeah. So we would be able to extract also more value from our products. Fantastic. Politically correct answer. You should go into politics, Guido. <laughs> um, this is this is an internal joke sorry guys he's actually i'm not, I'm not sure it was so politically correct no it was it, no it was it was so using a segue of inspiring you guys as a manufacturing partner behind the brands that are launched and featured and sold on watch angels let's use that segue to the other projects so let's talk about the next one. So Cedric Benno was rather successful. Yeah. I think what I understood. Yes. And from people around me, yeah. it really stirred up a lot. It was the, the, in, the, the inception of Watch Angels, Cedric Bellon stepping out of the dark into the limelight. Which he home, doesn't like. Which, which he, he doesn't, doesn't like. like. He put a whole impressive philosophy down with his sustainability approach and basically reverse engineering everything, putting you guys out of your, pushing you guys out of your comfort zone. So what was the next one? The next one was the revival of the American Waltham brand. Yes. So once, once the largest brand in the world. Yeah. Spell that. Well, uh, W-A-L-T-H-A-M. Yeah. So for American listeners, if you don't know the brand, look it up. Guido has here an amazing vintage piece with an inscription on the back, mesmerizing. It's like real history in my hands. Um, super cool what you guys are doing. I guess that was a grand success. Yeah, that was a, a very big success. But first of all, because many Americans, it's kind of a household name. It's a very interesting brand because it disappeared two times, but still everybody in America uh, remembers Waltham. Um, the, our approach uh, with Watch Angels, because again, we try to make meaningful watches, was to take a very significant watch from the history of Waltham, but still apply some technical novelties. So we decided upon the, the Waltham Field and Marine, which was actually the first waterproof watch in history due to its... Uh, bezel, case back, and crown design. This was in 1918. 
when it became the first waterproof watch. And what we did is, you, you know, we kept we kept the design, you know, similar with some updates, but we developed based on the original um, patent of the crown. We made it even a bit more simple. So we applied the technology of today to a patent of the past. And I think that this gave an interesting, really an interesting watch with a, with an interesting crown, which is a bayonet crown. So mm -hmm. you manipulate it different than a, mm -hmm. a traditional crown. For those that are maybe not that familiar with bayonet, because we use that a lot in the jewelry industry, how would you explain a bayonet to our listeners that are not that familiar? So should I go? You should, you should, you should see Guido making faces. That's the beauty of recording a podcast opposite each other. Okay, Rob, yeah, intermezzo. Rob, delete the whole story about the bayonet. So, you guys launched Waltham. Who is behind the brand? So, so how did you how did you guys connect Watch Angels and Waltham? So, who's behind it? Who revived it? Well, this, this is uh, this is how a Watch Angel project works. So, we met the owner of the brand and uh, and proposed him, why don't you why don't you revive it by using the Watch Angels system um, which gave him the opportunity to relaunch the brand in a low risk way and yeah and he agreed and that's why we, we entered into a, uh, a joint project so you approached the owner of yes Walter. correct and is it still American owned it's still American owned yes the owner lives in America yeah um, who's he's okay. called Antonio Di Benedetto okay uh, so he owns the brand. He bought it, I think, about 10 years ago. And uh, and the Walton Watch Company is today a Swiss company. So the, the, the Walton Watch Company is incorporated in Switzerland. So I see a lot of parallels with Hamilton. I don't know Hamilton very well, but yes, probably. probably Man, Many of these American brands have had that trajectory. Yes. Yeah, we remember... Of course, with IWC, which is interesting, is an American who came to Switzerland to produce his watches because that was a low-wage labor country. Well, interestingly, he was working for Waltham before. So the, the interesting of the Waltham uh, brand is that it was the first brand who industrialized watchmaking. In the U.S.? In the U.S. And it, was, it was called the American... Um, sorry, the, uh, the American method of watch manufacturing. And actually, the founder of IWC took those methods to Switzerland. Really? And applied them in Switzerland uh, together with IWC. Yes. Which was Mr. Jones. Uh, Ariosto Jones, yeah, yes. Ariosto correct. Jones. That's, yeah. that's correct. Yeah, amazing. So, so, and where were they based originally, Walter, in the US? In Walter. It's, oh, uh, it's so a it's city. A place. It's, yes, it's in a what, place. In what state? It's in Massachusetts, in Mass yeah, yeah, close, to, close, so. to Boston. Yeah, close to Boston. And is there something today there to see? Yeah, the factory is still there. It's a, it's a beautiful building. They made uh, now they made like lofts out of them. There is a museum. Yeah, there is a Walter Museum in the in the premises. Okay. Yes, and it's uh, it's very beautiful. It's just beside a, a river. Cool. And, uh, when did they stop manufacturing in the US? Uh, I, I don't remember the exact year, but wow. it has been somewhere end 50s or mid 50s. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So after Second World War. After Second World War, yes. Then and then um, they started to produce in Switzerland. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Going from the second one, what's the third project? How many do we have actually up until today? Um, so how many brands and how many projects? Uh, today we have six projects. Yeah. So six brands, and. The third one, very interesting also to, to, to illustrate a bit our approach, is um, it's, it's called Bühlmann Dive Watches. Mr. Bühlmann uh, was a uh, Swiss scientist who studied um, breathing, breathing mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and he has been active, you know, from end of the 70s and he developed all the um you know the decompression tables mm -hmm. so he was at the basis of all the depth records by um by divers he was also studying the gas mixes which with which they were uh, diving and he did everything with empirical analysis so with his decompression chamber at the university hospital of zurich and him together With, um, with a famous diver, also Swiss, called Hannes Keller. By the way, he, he, he just passed. Um, they, they did very many uh, diving records. I th they, they went up, I think, up to 320 meters. And so we met the son of, of Mr. Bühlmann. And together with him, we studied a very interesting diving watch which functionally um, also features the decompression scales of, uh, of Dr. Bühlmann based on his, on his algorithm. And uh, it's, it's a very interesting watch because it has various features like a fly-no-fly -fly indicator, which is, which is important for divers. It has a five-degree case inclination, you know, for both comfort and, and reading. And then in terms of design, uh, It has a, um, an oversized minute hand because that's that's the important thing to control for a diver, and the hour has been executed as a disc. Um, so what you really see very well on the watch is the minute hand, and um, and it has a, a, a mechanical system through which you can block the the, the three crowns through the bezel, which are. Position at the 12 o'clock position, so it's a bull horn. It's a bull head. Or bull head, yeah. Yeah, it's a bull head. And um, yeah, and we like to play with habillage, so we like to add some, you know, mechanical uh, gizmos yeah. to, to the watches. And uh, we call it the mother of all diving watches because of the presence of the decompression scale of Mr. Bühlmann, because before those decompression scales, Uh, divers could not go so deep, and actually, the end of of these of the application of divers at great depth, you know, was when um, the limit was reached at around you know 300 meters, and for commercial diving, robots came. They were cheaper, mm -hmm. did not risk their lives, so that is when. So, how much atmosphere waterproof is this watch? This watch is uh, 500 meters. So it's 550 meters. Yeah, so 50 bars. Yeah. Uh, which was actually the record he achieved 
in his decompression chamber in uh, so with real divers inside at the University Hospital of Zurich. Yeah. Cool. So for our listeners, it's spelled B U H L M A double N. Going from this cool, funky watch, and historically very impressive. Did this watch exist, or did you guys made it as a tribute to him? Oh no, this we made as a tribute to him. So it's a new design. It's it's a completely new design, and the partner in this was the son. So it's the son yeah. of Professor Bierman. Yeah, amazing. Okay, yeah. so this actually never existed. No, no, no. Yeah, so no. I didn't even know that it never existed, and and this design identity will also be the basis for the next watches. So you will always see a Bierman with a big minute hand and a hour by disc going to the fourth project so the first project we did with another very talented designer in the industry who's called thomas funda uh, thomas is a, is a danish designer and you see in his creations also this this very graphic uh, danish design style and he had the idea to firstly bring back the monocoque uh, case which is, is it's a very interesting case, which was done frequently in the 70s, but then, then stopped. And then he added a technical complication, which was the possibility to uh, extract the module. So it's, it's a modular watch. And his vision is to have one case, so the Thunder case, and then give watch enthusiasts the possibility to collect complications. That means new complication modules. So the first watch is a moon phase watch, uh, which has some interesting aspects. For example, one of the modules uh, shows you how many days to full moon, which is a kind of another way to look at a moon phase watch. And graphically very, I would say, a Danish design, graphically very strong. And uh, Thomas is already working on, on new complications, so new modules. That means that who, for example, supported this project and so owns the Thunder case will then be able to just buy the, the new complication module and insert it into the watch. So Wait. what we say, it's like it's, col it's collecting complications, not watches. That's a bit the approach. So guys, if you have not heard about it... Um, Thomas Funder is F-U-N-D-E-R. And what does the main stand for, the M-A-N-E? Mani means uh, moon, in, moon in, in Danish. Uh, in, Danish yeah. Yeah. in Dutch we say man. man. Um, so what Guido said, basically, monokosk is one, it's milled out of one block. Correct. So there are no, so usually watchmakers create a watch case out of several components. Yeah, two or three components. Yeah, maybe. so yeah. the bezel usually. The bezel, the case back, and mid, the case mid, body. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is one complete piece. And then you literally push out the module that contains the glass and the yeah, whole the movement, the movement and the yeah. backside. And, and the case back, yes. Yeah, so for correct. those that are hardcore watch geeks might remember. Japy, J-A-P-Y. Um, that is what this reminds me of. Super cool. Very Danish design. I know Rob will love this because, uh, as you guys know, he's very active in Scandinavia and he stirs the pot at Arconaut watches. So, very cool. Um, and and I, love the, I love the Danish design. 
almost as good as Dutch design, but uh, they're, they're almost as good as Dutch design. <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. You, the Dutch design, they, 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 they do well, but not so much in watches. Uh, interior, the Dutch do very well. And maybe art, but the Danish in product design are very good. I, so I agree Thomas, on the art. Yeah. I, I agree on the art. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. So, if I counted correctly, we were at four now, right? What's, four. And what's then the fifth one? The fifth was a, a, um, a Biur. Biur, yeah. So, the, the famous Biur, the, the German pilot watch. So, here we also did a, a, a reinterpretation. We imagined how the Biur would be done today. And uh, that was executing it as a chronograph. Okay. Um, so it's a monopusher chronograph. And also here we have an interesting particularity, which is that you can set uh, the elapsed time counter, which is at 12 o'clock. You can set it by turning the bezel. So there is a mechanical system which allows you to do this. And of course, this watch, uh, all the specs correspond to the original B-Ur specs. So it's really a, a, a watch angels design type. They were called design types because different manufacturers would do a version based on the specifications of the, of the German army. Yeah, so, so let's talk. What is a B-Ur, which means a B-Hour watch? An Ur in German is also watch. What does that stand for? So BUR stands for Beobachtungsuhr, which is observation mm -hmm. watch. So it were very precise watches, which were uh, mainly used as mother watches on ships in order to establish longitude and latitude. This was the historic uh, legacy of the, of the observation watch. Uh, in terms of aviation, mm -hmm. of course, Uh, the navigator would um, do all of his, uh, you know, chart work and and establishing, you know, position, flight time, etc., based on the biur, uh, meaning it had to be very very precise because at a certain speed in a plane, even a couple of seconds uh, difference would put you out of out of course. Okay, so that was the main, actually the main. Uh, spec of a Biur is precision, and that's why they were always anti-magnetic. This was one of the also the features because magnetism would affect, of course, mm. the the precision. So is this watch anti-magnetic? Yeah, this watch is anti-magnetic. And yeah. you did that with soft iron. We did that with soft iron, and uh, what we did, which is I think uh, an interesting feature of this watch, we opened the case back, so it has a sapphire case back. So you see the cage through the crystal and we engrave the military markings. So the traditional military mark is directly on the soft iron cage. Mm. So uh, it's a see-through back which shows you the cage and an engraving, which is, is, is very nice actually. Yeah. Interesting. So if you want to Google this watch, it's uh, spelled B-U-H-R and then Baumuster B, B-A-U-M-U-S-T-E-R B. How many Gauss can it resist? 4,800 or... I'm being too technical. So I'm geeking out. No, you're not being too technical, but to be honest, I don't know. All right. So homework for our listeners. They can homework go for our... 
Ik kan toch niet, niet weten hoeveel gauws daar gaat. Dude, we, the listeners want to know this stuff. Oké, okay, Rob, nee. intermezzo, note for you. Delete the whole question about the gauss. Sogido, five. Did we forget a project? I'll check it. Go on, go on projects. Het is vijf merken, toch? Het is vijf, ja, niet vijf, ja. Ja, oké. Okay. Heb je een nieuw merk in de pijplijn? Uh, ja, maar dat komt pas in, uh, in mei. Kan je zeggen welk merk of dat nog niet? Uh, nee, ik wil nog niet zeggen. Dus dan gaan we nu opnemen, zeg je... I'm already thinking two years ahead of production. The sixth is coming. Dan ga ik je pesten. Can you say something? En dan zeg je nee. Oké? Oké. Rob, we're going to record again. So that was the fifth project. Guido, what's the sixth one? So the... the 223 calendar is already set. So yeah. I, I must say we, we are increasing the rhythm of the projects. Um, so this year we will have very probably about seven new, completely new watches slash brands, designers, mm -hmm. plus additional line extensions of, uh, of what we have. And uh, there will be some interesting, uh, really some interesting watches. One of which I can say is a, is a new way of executing a date watch. Uh, but that's all I can say. <laughs> and that's the sixth project. So in your head, you're already busy. <laughs> It's not up on here. It depends on maybe when this episode airs, you can find it. So you guys actually have a very active community. Yes. So I have a twofold question for you. The first part, do you, well, actually you said you seek out brands. But if somebody is an aspiring watchmaker, entrepreneur who wants to start a watch brand, what is your balotage? What is what are your your threshold requirements to become eligible to be a Watch Angels project? But first of all, that the partner already has had has done his homework. Which means? Which means there needs to be a basic design, a basic technical feasibility. There needs to be a real story behind it. It has to be a passion project for the person, not only uh, an opportunistic project. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, those you see a lot on, on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So we require that the creator, we call him, really has invested already himself into the project. This is normal. It's like angel investing. Um, you you want that there has been already a big thought and personal engagement behind it. For us, that's very important. Uh, the engagement of the partner is fundamental. Also, then after in in the in in the um, uh, in all the stages of of the project, because the maker engages himself also a lot with the community. So there needs to be, as I said, homework has to be done. And then, of course, we have to make ourselves, of course, a due in, uh, diligence on what we believe will be the, the commercial potential of the watch. Of course, that's made easier uh, by having a big community because we ask, we test, we, we, we see what works, what doesn't work. So that gives us part of the answers. The rest we do uh, from, from experience. And of course, we have our criteria then 
to decide, okay, this we do and, and this we don't do. Keeping in mind that we take the business risk. So it's really a, a due diligence we make to, to make sure that we, we make watches which then the community likes and buys as well. Interesting. And my second part of the question was now, from a collector's point of view, so the consumers, the watch nerds, the listeners basically of this podcast, is there a subscription you need to pay? Can anybody register for Watch Angels and get, get updated? Or how the, walk me through how it works from a consumer point of view. Okay, so everybody can register on our site. Mm -hmm. uh, by registering, you get some small benefits already. But to become an angel, you need to support uh, a first project. That means you need to engage yourself and support the production of one of our projects. At that point, you become an angel. You pass from the status of enthusiast to angel. And by being angel, you get, again, a bit more benefits uh, in our system and on our website. Like? Like um, participating to all the content from the production. So you can be in our private Facebook group where we exchange. You have open doors to come to our factory. By the way, we encourage this a lot to come by and visit our factory. Then you get some advantages on purchasing in our store. Uh, yeah, I should explain how that works. But the final stage of a project is when the watch is in stock and sold in our online shop. There an angel has uh, some significant advantages in, in terms of price. Um, and of course, the, 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 by being part of the, of the private Facebook group and having the direct access with us, again, the, the community can dialogue with the manufacturer. So uh, we answer questions, we share uh, pictures, um, we get ideas a lot as well. So we get inputs from the community. That's very important. Uh, so the community helps us a lot also to steer the, the, the product. Um, so yeah, it becomes a, a, a real interaction that I must say also makes us grow huh? as, as manufacturers and as, as creators of product. That's amazing. Um, if people want to reach out to you guys. I know on Instagram it's at Watch Angels, so W A T C H A N G E L S. And on your website, I assume they can reach out to you guys through watchangels.ch. That's correct, yes. Yeah. Yes. I want to thank you so much, Guido. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Thank you. No. Great to have you here. Thank you to all our listeners. We hope you loved this episode. Um, it's my first time without Rob. I hope I did as well as he did because he's our maestro on the real-time show. Um, if you like what we do, please hit like and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. We would love to hear your feedback. If you have any questions for Guido, you can also reach out to us. You could find Rob Nuds on Instagram at R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S or via email rob at therealtime.show and obviously you can reach out to me on Instagram. It's at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H and obviously by email, which is my first name, alone at therealtime.show.